What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Shopify president Harley Finkelstein joins the Post to discuss the critical need for businesses to innovate and how his company is helping entrepreneurs around the world scale their business online and offline. Let's listen. Good afternoon and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Robin Gavon and this is The Path Forward. Today, we're focusing on entrepreneurship and e-commerce and my guest is Harley Finkelstein, the president of Shopify, one of the largest commerce platforms with over 1 million businesses powered by the site. From 2016 to 2019, businesses on Shopify contributed $319 billion in economic activity worldwide. And since the pandemic, Shopify has grown by 200%. And while small and medium-sized businesses and large businesses are struggling, Shopify is helping to connect them to their customers, whether that's online, offline, or on social media. It's my pleasure to welcome Harley Finkelstein to Washington Post Live. Hey, Robin. Hey, thanks Harley. for having me. Hey, Harley. How are you? Good to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I think the first thing is for viewers who may not be familiar with Shopify, can you just sort of give us the thumbnail explanation of what it is? So if you've ever shopped online and you bought something from a beautiful online store that was right from the brand itself, you've likely shopped from a brand that used to Shopify. Um, last year alone, about 300 million consumers around the, the world purchased from a Shopify store. And we view our role or our mission is to level the playing field so that anyone that has uh, a product or something that they want to get into the hands of consumers around the world can do so. And um, we are not a retailer. Uh, you and I talked about this uh, uh, before, but but if you were to think about Shopify as a retailer, we would actually be the second largest online retailer in America, uh, ahead of eBay and ahead of Walmart. And most of, most of the people that use Shopify uh, self-identify as small businesses. We also have some very large brands that use our platform as well, uh, whether it's Allbirds or Kylie Cosmetics or Fashion Nova. And, uh, and more and more, what we're trying to do is find all the different pain points that entrepreneurs have, be it shipping or fulfillment or capital, mm -hmm. and help them with that as well. And uh, that's led to Shopify uh, becoming, uh, for, for many people, the entrepreneurship company. I'm curious, obviously, so much of the growth had, that's taken place has been during the pandemic when so many businesses uh, had to shut down or their hours, uh, the amount of foot traffic they could welcome was severely limited. As customers have come to you, retailers have come to you, can you talk a little bit about some of the, the issues that they have raised? And, and I'm curious for some of them, why they had not already been online. So one of the things that has become apparent uh, to me, and I think to, to other people as well, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll I'll spell it out uh, in, in very specific terms because I think it's an important point, is that one of the things that has emerged through the pandemic is really a tale 
of two types of entrepreneurs, two types of brands, two types of businesses. On one hand, you, we've seen these incredibly resilient retailers and brands and entrepreneurs who the second COVID hit, they adapted. They, you know, they saw the tidal wave and rather than grabbing their towel, they grabbed their surfboard. And they went from being a brick and mortar store to using that brick and mortar location uh, to be a distribution center for the online store. Or they may have been a restaurant who overnight signed up for Shopify and started selling wine and meal kits and doing local delivery. Um, and they have done really, really well. But on the other side of the coin, you've, we've also seen uh, more of these resistant retailers, these resistant mm -hmm. brands who have not adapted nearly as well. And I think to answer, uh, to answer your, your question, that really was due to, they didn't know how to do it. They didn't have the tools to do so. They thought technology and digitalization was incredibly intimidating. And that I think is one of the reasons that Shopify has, has, has done so well th during the pandemic is helping those more resistant retailers really on board. Um, last time you and I spoke, I, I mentioned that if you zoom out for a second, what you'll notice is that it feels like the year 2030 that would have existed in terms of retail then has been pulled back to 2020. So what I mean by that is e-commerce as a percentage of total retail in 2030 uh, would have been something in the neighborhood of 25 or 30%. That's what it is today. It was 15% mm -hmm. only eight or nine months ago. So this mass digitalization has happened. And I think what we're seeing now in real time is a blueprint for what the future of retail will look like, where we have it's direct to consumer. It's brands that are completely omni-channel. They don't necessarily care how you buy. It's all of a consumer choice. And consumers are voting with their wallets whenever possible mm -hmm. on this consumer preference site to support these independent brands because they want them to exist. And when you look to the future, do you see uh, these brands as going eventually fully digital? Or do you see a space in which brick and mortar and e-commerce happily coexist? Yeah, it's such an important point. I, most people assume that because of uh, of Shopify and, and 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 my role that I play there, that I would say the future of retail is going to be completely digital. That is not the case. Um, the future of retail is going to be retail everywhere. It's going to be about consumer choice. And if you are a brand and you have a deep understanding and a deep empathy for your consumer, then you're going to understand how he or she wants to purchase. And that is what's most important. So one of the things that has changed about mm -hmm. Shopify over the last couple of years is that Yes, we are the leader in helping brands build online stores, but we also, through Shopify, enable brands to sell directly on places like TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and House and Pinterest. We also connect to Amazon and Walmart and eBay so you can push products there. We believe that that is the most important thing that we can do to help these merchants, these entrepreneurs grow their businesses to find consumers in, in different places. And then it all feeds back into one centralized back office, uh, sort of the retail operating system, uh, uh, you, may, you might say, uh, which is Shopify. And that makes it a lot easier for a brand to very quickly develop new channels um, almost immediately when they sign up for, for Shopify. I mean, so much of what you, you've described seems like it's like a business would be crazy, right? Not to sign up with you, but um, which leads me to the question of sort of what's the catch? I mean, like how does Shopify make money and how does Shopify use what I presume is an awful lot of data that it collects via the businesses that are on that, that it supports? Yeah. So to be clear, uh, we are a platform. So 
that the data that we collect is not our data. It belongs to the individual merchants. So what we do is we take that their own data and we make it so that they can make better decisions based on it. So for example, mm -hmm. if you're a merchant on Shopify and we see uh, a disproportionate amount of your traffic is coming from Pinterest, let's just say, we may advise you or suggest that you activate the Pinterest channel for Shopify and start pushing products there. If we see that Instagram is converting really well as a source, we may encourage you to buy more ads on, on Instagram. So we don't actually use the data for our own benefit. We use the data entirely for that particular merchant's benefit. But okay. in terms of- And the Shopify benefit from the amount that each store sells using their platform? So that's that's how that's how Shopify benefits. Uh, Shopify it's twenty nine dollars a month uh, plus uh, there's a there's a transaction fee. We 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 are able to make money either directly on the payments uh, or um, you know in the case of Shopify Plus it's twenty five basis points of GMV. So the nice part of the Shopify business model is that we are inherently on the same side of the table as the merchants. When the merchants do really well, Shopify gets to share in that upside. If they don't do well and they have a month where they're not selling anything per se, we make our $29 and that's it. The other part though that's really important to understand is, I mentioned earlier that if you were to pretend for a moment that Shopify was a retailer would be the second largest retailer. Mm -hmm. The reason I mention that is not because we're ever going to become a retailer ourselves, but it means that when we go to meet the shipping companies or the payment companies, or we go to meet capital partners, we are showing up there as the second largest retailer. And when, when we negotiate rates uh, for our merchants, rather than keeping the economies of scale for ourselves, we're able to give it to, directly to those entrepreneurs, those businesses, which means they're able to compete. And that is the reason why a lot of the the most popular brands right now that exist mm -hmm. in different categories, you know, maybe, maybe it's Bombas for socks or Tommy John underwear or Kylie cosmetics. They were able to grow at a pace that no brand, no retailer in the past was able to grow because they get economies of scale effectively on, on day one. And I think that leveling the playing field coupled with the fact that consumer choice is now moving towards more of these independent mm -hmm. brands and less to these marketplaces, is leading to a lot more commerce happening um, on Shopify and a lot less happening in department stores. Well, two things that you mentioned uh, with the Kylie Cosmetics. I mean, what is Shopify doing? We sort of talked about this a little bit to the idea of you know the, the celebrity marketer, the celebrity endorsement deal, um, and and on the other end. Um, there's really those small entrepreneurs where perhaps they're, it's a woman-owned business or a minority-owned business that is sort of having trouble getting its brand out there. I mean, how do those sort of extremes of the industry both benefit uh, through Shopify? Yeah. So we've had uh, a bird's eye view of, of a lot of the, the changes in, in sort of what I would call celebrity commerce. commerce. Um, and one of the things that we're seeing is that if you look at the way that celebrities or frankly anybody with any influence today is building a business or mm -hmm. endorsing brands it is so different than what it was even 10 years ago 10 20 30 years ago you saw a big celebrity get paid for talking about a particular product so it may be you know uh jlo talking about some some um some toothpaste uh, per se or brad pitt uh you know in a sponsorship with rolex that is very different than we're seeing today when you look at taylor mm -hmm. swift's store on shopify or you look at uh, Kylie Cosmetics or, or Jeffree Star, who's a, a YouTuber, or you look at the OVO store, which is Drake's uh, brand, you see something totally different. Number one is they own 100% of their business. In the case of Kylie, she actually ended up selling 50% of it, but initially it was hers. She owned all the equity of it. 
And the reason that, that she mm -hmm. was able to own 100% of the equity was because she had distribution. And if you think about the way that Michael Jordan got set up in creating the Jordan brand in the 80s, he got a licensing fee from Nike because Nike owned the means of distribution. Even if he wanted to own it and sell it himself, he never had a way to do so mm -hmm. because e-commerce does not exist. So I think on the celebrity side, you're seeing two differences. One is it is not promotional products. It is authentic. The ones that are doing well, at least, they are building authentic, high quality products. And you can see that with Yeezy and, and Kanye's brand. But you can see that across thousands of celebrities and most of them are doing it on Shopify. On the, uh, the other side of the coin, which are people just getting started, one of the main uh, issues or, 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 or challenges that any new business has is an audience. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have a great product. They have a beautiful store now with Shopify. Maybe they also have a brick and mortar store uh, or they will have a brick and mortar store on the other side of the pandemic. But finding an audience remains quite difficult. And in the early days of e-commerce, sort of, uh, you know, uh, the gen one of e-commerce, the way to get customers was really to pay money for something like AdWords or to or something like to hire an SEO consultant. What has changed dramatically about building a business today in 2020 is that social media doesn't necessarily require a lot of resources. It requires resourcefulness. You don't need capital to go buy ads. You can find a community of people, if you're smart and you're creative and you're, and you're, and you're persistent, that exist on Instagram or TikTok or, or Twitter, and you can engage with them and you can build an audience that way. And I think what that is doing is that is incredibly democratizing, which is why we see so many businesses that a year ago didn't exist that are now doing millions and millions of dollars without ever having to raise any capital. And that is the level of leveling the playing field that, that, that we are so proud of at Shopify. And Shopify can help them sell on Instagram, for instance. I mean, the, That's right, yeah. So Go ahead. Yeah, so we're, we've, we've been the launch partner uh, with Facebook and Instagram since they announced commerce. And so uh, working with Instagram, but also uh, we, we announced a partnership with TikTok a couple weeks ago uh, and, and many others. From the Shopify dashboard, from your admin, you can easily push products to all these social media platforms or even to marketplaces. And, and the key to that is that, you know, as I talked about earlier, this idea of commerce everywhere. If you have a beautiful product, maybe you make camping equipment, that Walmart channel that you can access through Shopify to push your products to the Walmart marketplace, that may be the best channel possible. But if you're making artisanal goods or you're making coffee mugs, you may decide that the Pinterest channel is a much more um, effective channel for you as well. And so what we try to do is figure out where consumers are, both online and offline, and then make it really easy for small businesses and entrepreneurs to easily access them. Um, one other point I just want to make, because you mentioned earlier this idea that Th those resistant retailers, like what's preventing them? What's the catch, I think is the term you use. I also want to be clear that one of the things that I've noticed through the pandemic, which is really important, is that although I talk a lot about sort of these, these startups, these companies that went from their mom's kitchen table to being, you know, Gymshark or to being, you know, Brooklyn and these, these mega mm -hmm. DTC brands, um, beyond that, there's some of the bigger companies are also beginning to think a lot more entrepreneurial. At the beginning of the pandemic, we saw Heinz Ketchup start a store on Shopify. We saw Lint Chocolate, Schwinn Bicycle, Stetson Hats. Mm -hmm. um, today, I noticed that Arby's is selling uh, a hat for Thanksgiving uh, with a built-in pillow on it so you can take a nap after Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> I kid you not. Uh, I, I just tweeted about it before I, I jumped on this interview. Um, so we are also watching larger companies and very large brands. Chipotle has a farmer's market on Shopify now. So it's not just the startups that are being entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. and trying to find new customers. Some of the biggest companies on the planet are also leveraging this new technology to access new customers.
do you worry that at a certain point there'll be no respite from commerce? That wherever we go, there will be someone, there'll be there'll be a button there that we can buy something. I think the key though, uh, well, no, I don't worry about that because what I think what I notice about the best brands and the best entrepreneurs is that they know when to ask for a purchase and they know when to entertain and they know when to communicate and they know when to just you know, uh, engage or have a conversation with their with their consumer or their potential consumer, but they also know when the transaction should happen. And if you look at so many of, of the best brands on Shopify, their content strategy is so rich. It is so um, interesting because they're not trying to sell you a product. They're selling you an idea, a story. And when the time is right, mm -hmm. that's when they engage you uh, in, in a commerce transaction. But I, I think consumers are smart. And if you feel like you're constantly being bombarded with uh, a request to purchase, you probably will not interact or engage or have much of a connection with that particular mm -hmm. brand. I think in a, in a testament to the sheer breadth of Shopify, you've also been um, had outreach from the Canadian government, just in in, in a, as a way of helping some of the businesses that are really feeling uh, the the stress from the pandemic to um, you know to move forward. Can you talk a little bit about like what what that means and what that entails? Yeah. So we have heard now from the state of New York, uh, the Canadian government, uh, both the federal government, but also uh, the local governments mm -hmm. in different cities. Um, and, and we announced a partnership uh, with the um, with Australia in the last couple, I think the last week or so. What is happening is that I think governments are have a deep understanding that on the other side of the pandemic, but frankly, for the future of their of their geography is for it to be rich and cultural, they need small business to exist. And for a long time, government just said, hey, you know, we'll let the businesses figure out how to adapt, how to evolve, how to innovate in their business. Mm -hmm. But I think they're realizing that some folks are getting left behind. I mentioned the resistant ones. And so what's happening now is we are being, um, in many ways, we are being inundated with phone calls and emails from governments asking us if we can play a role in helping their own businesses digitalize. In the case of Toronto, for example, uh, which is one of the largest cities here in Canada, we worked with Mayor Tory, uh, the mayor of Toronto in his office, to create a program whereby we would take physical only, uh, physical stores and digitalize them. And then what happened is the government, uh, the municipal government hired students hundreds of students to go ahead and take those physical businesses and turn it from brick and mortar to more of a brick and click model where they still have a brick and mortar store, but they also can mm -hmm. sell online. And immediately what that does when you hit that launch button is now you have a completely different total addressable market. Now you can sell around the world. You can sell to places and people you've never been able to sell to. And so it's, um, uh, frankly, it's quite inspiring to see governments actually play a role in helping their local small businesses innovate and scale. And uh, we're, we're, we're honored and, and, and quite grateful to be a part of that. I mean, one of the, it seems like in part, you're also suggesting that one of the important things about keeping that brick and mortar presence is also not to uh, remove character uh, and that you know feeling of discovery and delight from from neighborhoods, right? I mean, I would think that part of the even if you're not regularly going into brick and mortar stores, there's some there's still something to be said for uh, you know window browsing. That's right. One of my favorite merchants on Shopify, but frankly, one of my favorite brands is a company called Kith, K-I-T-H. They're based out of New York mm -hmm. City. And um, 
look, I'm a, I'm a digital entrepreneur. I've been, I've, I've been selling things online since I was a kid. One of my favorite experiences walking in to the Kith store in Soho and seeing the new product and talking to a knowledgeable sales staff and hearing great music and seeing great art in the wall and having this immersive experience. The key though, I think is that those innovative brands like Kith, they don't mm -hmm. view multi-channel as a strategy. They view the strategy as create a rich experience for consumers, however they want to buy. So whether I'm buying off Kith on Instagram or I'm buying in their physical store in Soho or I'm buying on their online store or I'm buying their stuff at, at a place like, like Bergdorf uh, because they also have a wholesale program, every touch point that I have with a brand like Kith is absolutely exceptional. And they realize that. And, and whether or not I buy in-store or online or Instagram, they're agnostic to that. They want to have a great experience for their consumers. And I think the retailers that are struggling right now, they view strategy as omni-channel, but that's not the strategy. Omni-channel is the mm -hmm. tactic and it's a great tactic. The strategy needs to be, as we move forward into the future of retail, sell wherever the audience is. And if this was hundred years ago, Shopify would help merchants and brands sell in the town square because that's where people are hanging out. This was 10 years ago. We would have a partnership with MySpace, I suppose, because that's where people were hanging out. And so the idea is as things develop, whether it's online or offline, we need to ensure that we give entrepreneurs, brands, the tools to sell anywhere they have consumers or might have consumers. And that's why you see these major, you know, uh, insurgents become incumbents very, very quickly. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to watch. One of the things that you had, had mentioned earlier was also the emphasis on uh, shopping with a purpose, um, being able to find those brands and those companies that um, are in alignment with your values. What does that do to the old fashioned idea of, of door busters and, you know, getting people through the door simply because of a great value? The two major shifts that we're seeing on Shopify across over a million stores, um, which you can almost say is a proxy for retail in general, but just because of the scope, is that consumer preference have changed in two ways. The first way is that they're unequivocally choosing whenever possible to buy direct, so direct to consumer. And I know this idea of DTC or direct to consumer is almost a buzz term now. Um, it's almost It almost seems like it's a fad, but that's not the case. Direct to consumer is the best retail business model for the most part because it means the consumer buys directly from the folks that make the product. The folks that make the product can ensure a great experience and they're not sh sharing the margin with anyone else. And if you think back to that example, hundred years ago in the town square, you bought bread from the baker and, and you brought shoes from the cobbler and that's how mm -hmm. it always was, was done. So the first consumer uh, trend that is changing is, is certainly DTC and buying from independent brands whenever possible is, is, is here to stay. But the second one to your point is this idea of, of conscious consumerism where consumers mm -hmm. are actually curious and they're doing research to figure out what are the values, uh, who, what are the organizations, what are some of the ethos inside the culture of the brands and the stores that I'm buying from. And that is so different than going back even five years ago where we as consumers, it was, you know, it was, it was door buster deals, as, as you mentioned, it was, we were always looking for mm -hmm. great deals and great discounting. And now it feels, and, and, and certainly the pandemic has accelerated this, that we as consumers are choosing and, 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 and preferring to buy from brands whose values reflect our own whenever possible. And I think that is leading to a lot more independent businesses. That's not to say there isn't going to be room for great um, intermediaries or great curators of product. If you have a store and you're selling someone else's products that are available direct, that's okay. The key though is if you're selling someone else's products that you have to give the consumer 
more value than they can get directly from that brand. And so if I go into a store and they're selling blue salt hoodies, my favorite hoodies, um, and I can buy directly from the entrepreneur behind blue salt. Uh, if I'm going to that store, that store has to show me something or curate an experience for me that allows me or allows me to justify paying them a margin. Otherwise I will go direct. I think a lot of the large department stores that went out of business simply stopped adding a sufficient amount of value to justify their profit margin. Yeah, which which makes me wonder, you know, we're coming up on what here, you know, in the States is Black Friday, that price, that bank shopping day after Thanksgiving, but also leading into uh, the holiday season in general. I mean, does, do you foresee sort of an end to that race to get the deals in a brick and mortar store? Sort of is, are we saying, are we seeing the end to, you know, a Black Friday? Yeah. So uh, no, uh, I actually think the Black Friday Cyber Monday weekend, which was a four day weekend is now a season. So it has gone a lot longer first and foremost. The second thing is internet, sorry, industry trends are predicting that Cyber Monday and Black Friday will both surpass $10 billion in e-commerce sales in the US. Uh, that is a 40% increase from last year. So we will see a lot more buying happening this year than ever before. The second thing is 97% of U.S. shoppers that we surveyed plan to shop online over that holiday weekend. Again, a massive increase. And 77% of, of shoppers told us they're planning to participate in the Black Friday ceremony weekend. They're actually going to spend more than they did in 2019. So one, uh, it's not just about deals. But as consumers, we are we are extending the Black Friday, Cyber Monday season a lot longer. We are not just looking for deals. We are looking for products and brands that resonate with us uh, personally. We're looking to buy direct. We're looking for this conscious consumerism in terms of our buying preferences. Um, but there's always going to be a place for bargain basement deals. There's always going to be a place if I need to get, you know, um, uh, a ruler. Uh, I don't really care if it's the highest quality <laughs> ruler or not. I like to use a ruler when I make my notes. Uh, I just need a ruler. I need it as fast as possible. So there are there are certain products where I just want to get it fast, cheap, and 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 make it as effective as possible. But for the stuff that is meaningful to me, the stuff that I actually want, as opposed to things that I need, I want to buy it from great brands and, and independent brands. You've told me so much about your personality by the sheer fact that you use a ruler to make your notes. So I appreciate that. Do you like me more or less now? I, I, I'm, I'm a little I bit like nervous now. Yeah. More. Oh, good. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Robin. I will uh, let one of our viewers have the final question, uh, which is from, um, let's see here. Ah, uh, yes, from Catherine Timko in Washington, DC, actually. What do you say to retailers who may be afraid of Shopify? Oh, don't be. Uh, not, 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 not at all. Shopify is, it, it's a superpower uh, and a set of, of, super, of, of superpower skills for retailers. If you are a retailer and you have one location, physical location, that means you can only sell in that particular geography. But if you decide to use Shopify, you now completely change your total addressable market. You now can sell to a global audience. The other thing is, I think a lot of people, um, the resistant retailers or those that may be somewhat resistant, uh, fear digitalization because it's either too expensive or too complicated. And one of the things that we've done is painstakingly crafted Shopify to be a product that is really easy to use, where at the beginning, it's very simple, allows you to build an online store, sell products, easily do uh, fulfillment and shipping. But over time, as you grow and the complexities of your business uh, grow as well, 
the the value of Shopify almost reveals itself to you, but only when you need it. And the idea is that if you start with Shopify and you, you, you have a store with us, if Apple comes out with a great new way to pay like Apple Pay, or we come out with a great new pay like Shop Pay, or you hear in the news that Instagram is now enabling commerce, or that TikTok now has shoppable ads, mm -hmm. you can rely on the fact that by being part of uh, the Shopify community, you get access to all of those brand new piece of technology immediately. And, and so I, I think in many ways, that's at the beginning of, of our discussion today, I said, you know, we're the entrepreneurship company and, and we really want to be that. We think that's really important. Uh, but what we're trying to do is make it so that anyone who is a retailer, anyone who is a brand can, can scale uh, and, and do so easily. Um, it's, 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 I think it's really important to do that. And they can do that without losing the essential personality. That's right, business. exactly. Yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. You can still have a great connection. You can have great heart. You can have great uh, culture and you can have a great connection to the consumer without uh, without necessarily being there. You know, it's interesting because you can scale brand digitally in a very compelling way. Mm -hmm. And I think most people don't know that. It's just, it takes uh, a certain set of, of, of inventiveness and, and resiliency and, and we make it really easy. If you're on Shopify, we're feeding you with new ideas every single week so that you can rethink your business strategy. Harley, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. It's been insanely fascinating. I really appreciate it. I've learned a lot. And um, I want to uh, tell our audience that you can join my colleague, Robert Costa, tomorrow for an interview with former National Security Advisor, John Bolton, and Karen Atia will be hosting a Race in America conversation with Opal Tometi one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter. Have a great afternoon. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.